Folks, welcome to episode three of the Redactive Podcast. This week is someone I've known for many years. Um, it's Michael Stangel. He's a producer, singer, songwriter. Um, he also plays drums, bass, keyboard, guitar, and vocals. Multi instrumentalist. Man, he's worked with Shannon Noll and Dean Geyer. He was also a finalist in 2013 Australian The Voice. Uh, many of you may know him from that. Um, if you do know him from that, you probably know his story, which is amazing. What this guy's been through is you can't even imagine. Um, and to hear him tell the story is is just incredible. Um, we had a really good chat. Apologies for this one. I was a little bit under the weather, a few health issues and suffering from a major toothache that day. So I was a little bit off my game. Luckily, Michael's an amazing speaker. Um and just a really nice guy also. So this one, Michael Stangel. Yeah, I wanted to I wanted to talk about me, really, because it's about me. It's not about you. It's contrary to belief, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds the, good, mate. You, you guests all think it's about yourself. But mm. um, I wanted to talk about the first time I ever heard your name mentioned. Mm. And I was, uh, I think I was driving our mutual friend, Steve Kachina. Mm-hmm. I was drop, dropping him back home here in, in Geelong and uh, we're driving through and he goes, I'm a mate, Mick lives there in the silos. And I'm like, in, in the silos, he lives in the silos. Oh, no, he lives up the top and that's his recording studio underneath and and that was the first, first Yeah, first thought, what a weirdo living in eight concrete bunkers. I was impressed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was like, nice. who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> well, you know what? The silos years were, they were great years, they were really good. This, uh, you know, there was a there was a story about this guy that actually fell in the silos in the forties and died. Yeah, right. You know, in yep. the grain, it was a grain silo. And uh, when I, I used to live there with Steve, and I oh, he lived there. I he lived there with me for about six years, and he'd always say, "There's something weird. There's something weird going on with this place." Because <laughs> I had these nightmares that were just terrible there. And you know, sometimes when you're by yourself there, you would get a bit of a chill. It was a weird concrete place. Yeah. Yeah. I think the second time, I think probably the first time we met, I was delivering a whole heap of gear for a recording session that the band War was doing. War, I remember those guys, yeah. Without a reason. Now, yeah. Jamie was involved in that. Yep. Jamie Keane. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's probably the first time we met. It was either then or it might have been at a Cosmic Love Bus gig in Ballarat. Mate, these are all things I haven't heard of for a long time. Cosmic Love Bus, yeah, that was a great band. That was with Steve too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I guess our, our connection started with Steve, or or maybe Wayne. On. Or... Yeah. Well, I I met Wayne through Steve. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. So that was probably how it was. Yeah. Yeah, and then Steve started playing with a band that I was working for, up in Ballarat, and that was Jamie and Wayne. Oh, what well, was that? The Fetal Monk. Fetal Monk. Yeah. That's right. And that's how we all met Steve, and hence you. So. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Well, Steve Kachina, who we're talking about, he's a, he's a, he's a podcast in himself. Well, I've spoken to Terry. Yeah, I've contacted Terry and said, "Would Steve be up for it?" So, um, and Terry Terry was going to put in a good word and see if we couldn't make that happen. So that's on the cards too. Fantastic. That'd be um, good. Maybe we could do like a a three way type chat. 
Well, I only do three ways in one way, mate. Yeah. Not with okay. not with another man. Right, just don't make <laughs> you don't make eye contact. That's the rule. Fair enough. <laughs> so, uh, Mick, oh, just a little bit about you. Uh, you know, well, I first met you at Cosmic Love Bus, but I'm sure you did bucket loads yeah. previous to that. Well, that would have been Cosmic Love Bus was about '95, something yeah, it like was. that. It was mid, yeah, mid the mid '90s. Yeah. yeah, there was a crazy time. We. Uh, Steve Cuccini, who we spoke about before, was in a band, um, and it was one of those funny bands where we had lots and lots of drummers <laughs> go through the band. We couldn't hold a drummer, but Steve and I, um, Steve and I, started touring, I suppose, in '95, and went right up to I think 2002. Mm. And um, we basically didn't spend a winter in Victoria for about eight years. We just stayed up north, you know. Chase the sun. Just chase the sun, Darwin, Cairns, Broome, you know, right down to Perth, and. It was, um, yeah, they were great times, really good times. I got a lot of stories from those times that I'm really fond of. Previous to that, what was, like, had you always had the, the I want to talk about the recording studio mm. mainly, like, mm. when did that start? That was, mild, like, ages before Cosmic well, Love Bus or? Yeah, it was. Um, I actually, it was the weirdest thing. I went for this, was in the Herald Sun newspaper down here, um, record label auditioning Australian artists for recording deal in Spain. And I thought, wow, this is weird. No, I think this is about 1991, 92. So I went there and I went there with my dad because I didn't know exactly what to expect. And there was a line of maybe 30 or 40 people lined up to audition for this record label. And um, I went in there and I sung a song and played a song and there's about three, 400 people there. And I, I actually won. So I got to fly over to Spain and sign to this record company called Contiki Music. Weird, weird experience. I went over there and anyway, these guys were quite weird. The guy who owned the record company used to sell spas to famous people in Spain and he'd made some money and wanted to start this record label. So pure passion project. Yeah. Or tax dodge. Tax dodge. (laughs) I was staying at his house, beautiful house in in Malaga down the, the bottom of Spain. And I remember that things got a bit weird because, you know, he'd be having arguments with people and his wife and stuff. And it, it turned out that they were he was actually a member of this weird church. And this, this church was the they believed the world was coming to an end. And that place in Mulligan was one of the one of the places where um where you would go where when the world turned on its axis, it was actually going to be above sea level. So I found all this stuff out and I, I shit myself and got the hell out of there. So Michael Stangel, uh, cult member. <laughs> yeah. But from that, they actually, uh, they were meant to pay me all this money, which they never did, but they gave me some recording equipment and that's what got me started recording. I had a Fostex A-Track, uh, old school reel-to-reel, uh, and I'd learned a little bit of recording stuff while I was over there. And uh, that's how I really got interested into recording way back then when I was going to be in a cult or recording. Which one? So no, cult, recording, yeah, cult, recording. Well, you know, some would argue they're one and the same. <laughs> so that was in the old days, you know, when you had to splice tape and all that kind of stuff. God, I and remember doing that at School of Audio Engineering. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I sort of got into that and then sort of really just left it there and just started playing. Yeah. Um, so then I played for ages and ages. And it wasn't really until I caught up with uh, somebody you spoke to, Paul Wilshire, mm. that I started to take it really seriously. And um, we had a studio in South Melbourne called The Base. Yep. Um, so, so yeah, so Paul really got me started off in um, in doing it professionally. You know, before I, I charged bands to do stuff, but I remember another old friend of ours who, who isn't with us anymore, Jamie, who was really good at it. And I learned a lot of stuff from Jamie way back then. Yeah, so Jamie and I went to school, the School of Audio Engineering, mm. 
I started six months before him and oh mate, he just walked all over me real quick. Yeah, he was he was fantastic. I learned yeah. a lot from Jamie. Good ears. Really good ears. Calm nature. Yeah. It was uh somebody gone way too soon. Oh, it's just like I can't even talk about it because no. it breaks my heart. Mm. And then we've got um Wayne Kilborn too, who who um yeah. Last a couple of years ago, I think we worked out, didn't we? Yeah. yeah they, were, they were cut from the same kind of cloth, you know, just uh, just really down-to-earth, real people. You know, Wayne um, became one of my closest friends for a long time, you know, had a lot to do with his family, still still have a bit to do with his family. Uh, his daughter, Daisy, is somebody that I do a little bit of stuff with. She's yeah. just like a like a little Wayne, very talented. <laughs> she's she's uh, great. Same personality. You know, she's... Um, like I've known Daisy since she was... At least five or six. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know she could sing. No. And Wayne, Wayne must have already been sick when he when I first heard Days sing. Mm. And it was a song that she'd recorded that was replayed at Wayne's funeral. Yeah. Um, it blew my mind when I first heard it. I'm like, man, Days has got a great voice. She she is, and yeah. she's very much like him personality wise. And yeah, you know, yeah. So it's good to have. Oh, so good. she can talk. She can talk. She's a real talker now. <laughs> she loves talking. So, so yeah, f- from that, I, again, with uh, Paul Wilshire started, he sort of... Well, how did you meet... <laughs> what, was it through through us, like through Jamie and Steve that you met Paul? Well, or I was met, it independently of... No, I, I met Paul, uh, again, a lot, of, a lot of down stuff here. It was uh, the last gig that Jamie did. And uh, we had a band that we put together. Lazy Space Truck and Speed Kings. That's it. And Wayne was meant to play drums, but he was too upset, so he didn't play. So now, I, that was one of the questions on my list to ask you. Yeah. I have a memory of you playing drums for that band. That's right. And then I think, no, nah, was he singing? Was he playing the bass? I couldn't. No, I was like, playing well, drums. I, I forgot. I might have been a bit drunk that night. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all were. And, you know, yeah. that was just, it was one, still rates as one of the, the most, uh, I don't know, I wouldn't say greatest nights because it wasn't really, you know, it was, it was Jamie's last gig and he knew he was going to pass away. Yeah. Um, but there was just something about that night was so special. Mm, it was. Know, and uh, still send. And I remember that night, you know, talking to Jamie and then, um, you know, sort of he was really sick in the end and, and he asked, you know, at my funeral, will you play a song? And I remember the song was Talks to Angels. Mm. And every time I play that song, I can't stop thinking no, about it, it. It breaks my heart. And um, or you missed his um, his benefit gig that we did mm. um, on the twenty year reunion. Yeah, um, you couldn't make it, but um, we we played that song again. You did, yeah. yeah. So I played the drums that time. Oh wow, yeah, yeah. So so that was when I met Paul because Paul was playing keyboards, yeah. and I thought he was this brash asshole. Thought he knew everything, you know. And I thought, oh, he's not going to play well, and blah, he's playing, you know, all this synth. And then he played, and I was he's like, oh monster. my god, he's awesome. Yeah, you know. And just so switched on with everything in the music industry, so. Yeah, well, he's he's gone on to amazing things mm. now, so yeah. I'm really proud of what he's done. Yeah. Big things, but mate, look at you go. We're sitting here in a in a fully fledged recording studio, and yeah, um, yeah, pretty impressive what you've done. Yeah, well, you know what? I think the trick with with uh, music is that you just have to persist, mm. and I've persisted trying to do a whole heap of different things, from performing to recording, running record labels, publishing la- publishing houses. Um, just tried my hand at everything and uh, made heaps of mistakes, which is now I know lots from not what to do. <laughs> you know, it's what all the mistakes it's when you, you make. Learn, learn yeah. most. Yeah, it is. The mistakes you make uh, 
help you uh, make some all right decisions. So that's been going. That's been going well. So now I'm pretty well entrenched into managing artists. Um, still do some recording. Yep. Um, You've jumped the fence. You've you're not yeah. one of us anymore. No, no, I'm that guy. Fucking manager. <laughs> I'm that guy. <laughs> yeah, but I do know what it's like to be an artist. So right. they yeah. tend to like me. The people I, I, I represent. Yeah. yeah. And how's that going? It's going well. It's yeah. going really, really good at the yeah. moment. We've um, you got a few in your. Oh God, I hate that term. In your stable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got a few uh, few geldings in the stable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So look at the moment. Uh, I suppose uh, Taylor Henderson is probably doing really well. Mm. He just finished a big tour. Um, I've been uh, working with Nathaniel for the last three yep. years, Nathaniel Wilmsey. Yep. They both had like, you know, number one records. Uh, Meryl Bainbridge is yep. somebody I've just started working with. She'd probably be a familiar name to some. Yeah, yeah. She had uh, like a number one song in the US and, and yep. played Madison Square Garden and did all that kind of stuff and knows the industry back to front. Mm. So she's she's getting back into it and asked me if I'd help her with that. So I was, I was really wrapped she did. And uh, I've got Libby Steele, who's um, a Triple J kind of artist, who's doing yep. really, really well at the moment. And Daisy, you yep. know, we're doing stuff with Daisy. Um, another another kid from up north, Royston, who was on the TV show altogether now. He's the first one to get 100 people to stand. So he's actually coming down to Victoria to live in the next couple of weeks. Um, and, uh, you know, there's Tim Morrison's another guy. He was the lead singer from um, Trial Kennedy. I don't know if you remember that band, but... He's uh, he's another guy. So there's there's a lot there, and and getting into this stuff, podcasting, which I love. Huge Joe Rogan fan, huge UFC fan, you know. So um, so I'm doing See, a bit I, of this stuff I, as well. I listen to Rogan a lot, but I can't do the UFC stuff. He's really good. He's so natural. He's so relaxed. You yeah. know, he's and he just seems to know his shit. Yeah. No, look, so a big fan of his, and and a lot of that that crew that sort of it's just really real about what's going on, rather than yeah. not being real. You know. So mm. let's talk about the voice. Mm. Well, it was a funny thing, The Voice. The reason I went on that show, I got asked to go on that show. A really good friend of mine. Um, oh, yeah, because I was going to ask. I was surprised that I didn't think that would be your thing. No, well, it wasn't. I said no mm. to start with. And I don't know if you knew. At, at, at that time, I was really sick. I want to talk about that too. Yeah. yeah. So I was, I was, if that's cool. No, absolutely. That's fine. So I, I was sort of in the middle of my illness yep. at that time, but I was in a part where I wasn't too bad. Mm. And um, they rang up and asked me if I wanted to sing on the show. And I said, no, it's not my thing, mm. you know. Um, and then I told my dad and my wife and they kind of convinced me to change my mind. They said, listen, at that stage, my prognosis wasn't too good. I said, it's something that the kids could watch. It's going to be good for you to take your mind off things, good for them. Yeah. So they convinced me to, to do the show. And um, I'm, you know, now that I did it, I'm, I'm wrapped that I did. It was a fantastic experience. I think for somebody as old as I was, I think I was 46 when I did the show. You know, I already had my career. It was a real good opportunity. I got a fair way down the show, so you got get a chance to actually feel what it's like to be a celebrity for a little bit of time, mm. especially in my hometown of Geelong. Um, and it was a great feeling. It was really good, and I got to meet a lot of people that I probably wouldn't have ever got to meet otherwise. You'd already worked with some idle kids, hadn't you? Yeah. You'd done so work with Dan. Dan England yep. uh, wrote some songs on Shannon's big album, yep. uh, worked with Veronica's and yeah, so I'd done a fair bit up to then. But uh, when I went on The Voice, <clears throat> everything kind of changed. You know, you went from somebody earning about 400 bucks at a gig solo to somebody earning four grand for doing 20 minutes, you know. So uh, if you can get on there and go far, yeah, you, I'd you advise. You were probably doing shopping malls and shit, were you? 
Um, yeah, no, mostly corporates. Yeah, right. I remember I, I played at a few big football games, sung a few, um, you know, in the middle I did one with Steve actually where we sung, uh, it was at uh, Eddie Head Stadium for the, um, what was it? I forget what it was now. It was, it was. Um, oh, I remember it. I can't remember what it was either. It was. Yeah. What was it again? I can't, I've done it. Done so many stadium shows, I can't remember. Oh, mate, listen to you. <laughs> uh, oh, the Teddy Whitten Foundation. Yep. Uh, raising money for prostate cancer. Yep. Um, and it was the Legends game. Yeah, right. Yeah, it was too. Yeah, that's right. And I got up and did the, the national anthem and they actually asked me to, if I wanted to play. But I was, my neurologist said, no, look, you know what, just sing the anthem. He was shitting himself me doing the, the, just that. The strumming. What's that? Like the strumming of the guitar. No, they wanted me to play, actually play football. Oh, fuck, okay. Yeah. I'd only had uh, an operation, a brain operation, I think it was three weeks before. So I had yeah, some decline. Yeah, don't want to be doing that. No, I would have loved to have yeah. done it though. First I heard that you weren't doing so well was, oh, mate, it floored me because Steve had dropped around to my place mm. and had said, oh, um, Mick's been told he's got two weeks to leave. I've got to go and see him. Yeah. Yeah, that was... I a- don't know how that affects... I know how that affects me hearing mm. that. Mm. Um, I can ma- only imagine how it affected Steve, but how does that affect you? I, I don't want to get too deep if you don't want to, but fuck me, that must have been yeah some sort of experience. Well, look, anybody that's told that they have a certain amount of time, whether it's two weeks, three weeks, uh, Steve lied, it was three weeks. Wasn't okay. <laughs> oh, fuck, well, that's all right then. Yeah, plenty um, of time. So Shit. I had another week up my sleeve. Yeah, uh, I think anybody that gets told that, um, it, it, when you get told it, at the time, you just numb. You just like... Well, I don't know what this means. What does this mean? You know? Yep. Um, and then after a while, when you start to really, <clears throat> really consume it in your mind, it's it's just terrible. I mean, it's, you know, the thought of the either end, the end of your life mm. is, a, is an awful thing. And, uh, and it, it has had an effect on me going through life. And I can tell you some stories about that as we, we go along. But, um, you know, I, I just said to the, uh, the oncologist who said that to me, I said, well, have you, are you sure? You know? Uh, and he said, well, look, you know, we, we've taken the tumor out of your brain. Looks like it's, um, it's, uh, I hate saying melanoma because some people might listen to this melanoma, but they said it was melanoma and it was yeah. very advanced. Um, but they said pathology hasn't come back, but we know what it is. It looks exactly like it. And, um, uh, about three months prior to that, I'd had another operation because I'd had a, a myxoma tumor in my heart. So it metastasized. Yeah. Well, it, it kind of did because the the myxoma is a is a benign tumor in nature, but it it, it kind of gets into your heart and uh, it starts to grow in your heart. And it doesn't really metastasize; it just grows, and it's just like a big lump in your heart, and eventually it blocks your valves and you die. And it, and it um it sort of it's on this. It looked like a Gumby doll, you know, when they showed me the, uh, I think it was an ultrasound at the time. And they said, look, at any stage, this thing could drop off. So yeah. that was the one that was going to kill you quick? That was the one that was really dangerous. They said, but it's okay. Now that we've got it, we know what it is. We can do an operation. It's fairly, you know, it's not a straightforward operation, but we, we can, now that we know what it is, you'll, you'll be okay. So they got that out. But apparently, unluckily for me, as they got out, the spores from the cancer, from the tumour had got into my bloodstream and that's how it metastasized to my brain. And I'd been told that, you know, this is a really rare tumor that, um, you know, like say the Geelong Hospital where I had the operation, they see one maybe every four years. Mm. So it's pretty rare in nature. But people that have had them out and then metastasized to their brain through this sport, through these spores, 
I think there's only, well, at that stage, there was like 20 or 30 known cases in medical history. So it was ridiculously rare. Um, and, you know, I just thought, oh, my God, here we go, you know. And um, I, I, I had the, the heart operation and I just started to not be able to pick things up. My perception was really bad, had these headaches that were, I can't even destro- describe. Beyond migraine. Beyond migraine, yeah. These things were ridiculous. Um, and I remember going to the Geelong Hospital, went by ambulance because I was so bad. And my wife, who I'd only known for th- my wife now, but at mm. that stage we'd only been together for three or four months, yep. um, didn't know what was going on, and um, and went to the hospital. And I remember there was a male nurse there that sort of started tearing up, you know, and gave me a cuddle. And I thought, oh, shit, this can't be good. Oh. This can't be good at all. And they rushed me up to the Royal Melbourne. Um, and then – that's where I had the brain operation and told I had a few weeks to live. And, and sort of we stayed in that, I suppose, that reality for about eight to ten months that we thought that was it. Any moment. Any moment. And so we hurried up and we got married. Yep. You know, and um, not knowing what the future held. Um, and then the tumours kept growing in my head. Neurologist said, "Look, you know, look, we'll do the best we can. We'll do this." And at one stage, is there's one right in the middle of my brain that um, they wanted to get out, and they said there's probably a better than fifty percent chance that if we do this, you'll probably <clears throat> the right side of your body will either be really weak or you'll have no use of. But if we don't get it, it if it keeps growing, it'll kill you. So I said, "Just leave it. Don't touch it. I don't, you know, I don't want to be." I don't, I don't you want that to happen to me. Couldn't bear the wheelchair scenario. Well, you know, if it happened, and I, I, I've seen lots of people in wheelchairs, I'm sure I could deal with it. But as it was for me, I didn't want to take that. You know, I yeah. felt like I'd be okay. Yep. And, um, and, you know, I really believed I'd be okay. And I am okay. You know, so I think there's a lot in, in, in the way that you, you think that can really help you along. I hate saying that. <clears throat> because I remember when I was talking to Wayne before he passed away from from his uh, episode with cancer, you know, he really believed what he was doing was the right thing. As I well. had the same conversation with him. Yeah. And, you know, we had lots of conversations around that. And I remember, I still remember Wayne coming in when I was up in Dalesford saying, hey, mate, I need to have a private chat. And I said, what's the matter, mate? And uh, he goes, have a look at this. And he his stomach was yep. his huge lump. Yep. And I said, what's going on? He goes, oh, I've been told I've got bowel cancer. It's not very good. And I said, mate, be positive. And he's, we both know Wayne Kilbourne. You know, he's the most positive guy you could meet yeah. and was always into, you know, alternative things. And, and I said, mate, just be really positive about, you know, just think about being at your, at that stage, your son's 21st birthday and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But unfortunately for him, it didn't turn out that way, you know. Um, which was was devastating for me because I realised that it's not always about a positive mindset. Sometimes things just happen and you're lucky and you have to be really happy if luck falls your way. It's not something you can have control of. I mean, there's a certain mind over matter with some things, but um, it's not proven yet, is it? No, it it makes you appreciate life. It it certainly does. So do you believe, well, it's more more of a a truth Mm. that what you do now and the way you live life is drastically changed because of that yeah it has um i i realize i have to live life Mm. not just witness life you know and it's in some ways i'm so happy it happened 
And in some ways for my family and my wife and my kids and my parents, I'm, I'm sad because I know they were, they were more concerned about it than me. And it's a hard thing to explain. Like when it's happening to you, you feel like you have some control. Certain resignation? Yeah, you, you can decide how you want to feel about it. Yeah. But for your loved ones, you, you know, they're just hoping and praying. You know, there's, it's think- terrible. That's the thing with with a prognosis like that or or even the thought of um, mortality mm. that's going to happen to all of us. Yeah. It's almost like I don't want to leave these people behind. Mm. Or you're more worried in some cases you're more more worried about them being left behind. What will they do without me type, you know. Yeah, you want you want to leave on when you feel like everything's right. Yeah. Which hardly ever happens, you know. Uh you know, I, I heard somebody once say um, you know, I haven't met anybody getting out of this thing alive and it's true. <laughs> no, oh, yeah. Nobody's got out of this thing alive yet, yeah. this thing called life. That's a and, um, great Jim Morrison quote, isn't it? No one here gets out alive. Yeah. Well, that's that's probably where it was yeah. derived from. And um, and since then, I've been willing to, you know, really take life on by the horns, try as much as I can from those operations. I mean, I've had four brain operations, open heart surgery, multiple seizures, um, which have led to like thrombosis and a whole heap of stuff. Um <clears throat> but you know, I just, I, you know, I, I try not to let it affect me. My wife's fantastic. You know, she knows when to kick me in the ass again. You're just feeling sorry for yourself, which sounds a bit cruel, but you know, yeah. and uh, and you know, it it's really amazing what you can do. But also, you know, one thing we're sort of moving back and forth. But you know, it it takes me to mental illness, which I'd always been. I had a really strong mind. I always thought I had a really strong mind, and. And, uh, you know, people suffering depression and anxiety were somehow weak. Mm. Boy, was I wrong. Because uh, about a year ago, well, not even a year, probably eight months ago now, my mum passed away. And a really good friend of mine um, passed away as well. Real young guy, way too soon. And you know what? The world started to change for me. And it changed in a way where I, I, I started to see things my anxiety went through the roof. I actually so badly that I went blind. And I started to, you know, I would look at my own hands and they'd look like a dead person's hands. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, I was crazy to the point where my neurologist said, I think we need to put you on medication in hospital. And luckily my wife said, no, 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 no. I, I know that if you do that, then when you come out, you'll be, you won't be the same person. So I found this amazing um, psychologist who helped me through it. And I had a thing called depersonalization, derealization. don't know if you've heard of that before. But it's um, to sort of explain it is, you know, our primitive self is built that, you know, if there's a line at your door, you're going to run or you're going to fight. And what happens is, you know, your blood, if you're going to fight, your blood thickens, your hearing gets better, your eyesight gets better, your, 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 your muscles get stronger. The whole thing, you've heard, everybody's heard the story of the old lady lifting a car up off yeah. somebody, you know. It's a fight, <clears throat> fight flight, or, exactly. or freeze. Yep, and, and uh, my psychologist said to me that that's what's happening to you. Your body thinks there's a line at the door all the time. It's not that you're afraid of anything, but your body, now that we don't have lines at the door, we have stresses. We have things that upset us. We're told not to deal with, you know, we're given, we're given tablets to not deal with our depression. You know, sometimes people are depressed because they should be. They've had a series of events in their life that's terrible. They need to deal with it. And, and it's they, the mind, mind and body, it's the, it's the way of yeah, and, and forcing a, you to deal with it. And a lot of people are too quick to give tablets to take the, the pain away. But 
pain is our motivation to do things. That's awesome, mate. So you did it with with no antidepressants. No, no antidepressants, nothing at all. Um, I got given some little pink tablets. If I thought I was going to have a seizure, I could take these. It would slow things down. Yep. I forget what they were called, but geez, they made the world a different place. I could see he'd Did get addicted they? to those. Right. Um, they were one of the PAMs, Kleiser PAM or one of those PAMs. Um, but no, I luckily don't have an addictive nation, never got addicted to it. But, um, you know, and that was, that's been my belief. And that belief sort of permeates throughout everything I do now with artists, with recording, with, gigs with with everything you know so podcasting public speaking all that kind of stuff has become my my new passion and i really want to share what i've got to say with as many people as i can well your public speaking's always been brilliant um your speech at wayne's funeral was probably one of the best i've heard i mean i couldn't have kept it together and i know steve couldn't have and anyone else that was probably um willing to to speak and you just nailed it and well you know what you'd had media experience for years so i guess that helps and but yeah, being a singer probably helps too. I've done lots of gigs and, and done lots of things, but you know, like say something like Wayne's funeral or something. When you speak from the heart, truth comes out. Yeah, you don't have to read it. No, that's know? true. And if you forget something, it's it's not because you've done it on purpose. You know, you just lost in a moment, and that was a really sad time for me. Wayne was a, you know, he never. Saddest thing is Wayne always thought that you know I I didn't have that much respect for him or something like that. But you know that guy there was one of the. You know, I would always think about how he thought about things and it would be a real inspiration, you know, to me and somebody like Paul Wilshire as well. I know he often spoke about Wayne, how, you know, how he um, really inspired very, him in so many ways. Very much the empath. Yeah, he's just, uh, he had a great communication skills and, and um, yeah, he's a sad loss, sad loss. Amazing musician, amazing man. Yeah, yeah, entirely. Mm. Um, mental health, I, I spoke to um, another podcast guest about it he suffers from it too mm. and i mean as as do i slight anxiety we were trying to work out whether the artist mm. is more prone to it and why why like do you think that's true and why that link would be well, and i don't think it's true i know it's true yeah it, it, when i again had long conversation with my psychologist psychiatrist psychologist i forget which one it is but you know with one the can, guy who one was, can write the the scripts. That's right. One yeah. can't. Yeah, no, that's he, how could, I'll, he yeah. could write scripts. Okay. Um, you know, we had lots of conversations, and he said because what I had that depersonalization, derealization was was an offshoot of PTSD, and that was I never really come to terms with being told I was going to die. So any time, so it was like a delayed response to that. Even absolutely, yeah. So I, I, I had confirmed PTSD. Yeah. Um, and that's what led to this. You know, so basically your body. Like, you know, people say, oh, in the old days, nobody had depression. Well, they did, but they were the people rocking back and forth in the corner. Mm. They were the people who couldn't see anymore. They were the people who couldn't walk anymore. So <clears throat> it's a really old way of your body going, slapping you across the face and going, just sit the fuck down. Just take it easy until we can sort things out, you know. And that's what happened to me. So I, I, I went blind, saw these amazing, you know, I think it was the, um, you know, is it DMT or, the, you know, that drug? that you can go, you know, psychedelic kind of drug. Yep. It's just basically <clears throat> your body has overproduced that drug to get you to calm down to see all these psychedelic things. And, you know, with the depersonalization, you didn't feel, I felt like I was in a movie, didn't feel like I was me. So if I was in this room, I'd probably be looking at you and me from over there. And it was so real. And a lot of people now that, you know, um, do terrible things and, you know, if they really do have this, I do feel for him because at that time when I was in the middle of that, if somebody said to me, listen, all you need to do is get a knife or come into my head 
and stab your dog in the head, I would have done it in a split second to get rid of this. Yeah. You know, I would have done it. Uh, luckily, nobody told me that in my own head, but I saw some strange things that I can't even explain, you know. Yeah. It was a, it was a bad time, but, you know, one of the best advice for anybody going through that is, you know, pretend you're like bamboo in a strong wind. Don't be like, you know, hardwood because hardwood snaps. Think, things that are trying to resist what's going on snaps. If you like bamboo, you just sway with it. And that was the advice I was given. And eventually that and practicing mindfulness got me to a place where I got out of it. And some people don't. They, they just stay in that space because they're fighting it so hard. You have to let go and believe that you'll get better. And, and I believe that's why I got better without any drugs or any other help. Awesome. Meditation, hey? Meditation, yeah. That that was a, a big part of it. You know, I, I downloaded this app, I'm not getting paid for this, called Calm. And it was a 10-minute yeah. Um, yeah. thing every day about, you know, just relaxing, accepting, teaching you how to just accept sensation in your body. Don't identify it as being painful or feeling good. Just realize it's there, move on. Scanning, I had some... Um, I had some lessons from some some people who are very good at meditation, you know, just scanning your body, putting a green light through your body, all that kind of stuff, which, you know, for me um, was all, you know, like bullshit, you know. But when I did it and it worked, I was like, oh, no. Proof's in the pudding. Proof's in the pudding. I'm a complete one, just turned around fully and uh, and realised that that is, and, and that's why people should talk about you know, mental illness, especially with men, because we try and hide it and we try and be that hardwood, you know. Yeah. And when you're the hardwood, that's when you break. And that's why, you know, suicide and, and men just have this these huge numbers. That, well, it truly just, is an epidemic. It's an epidemic. It really Next is. time you're up in Ballarat, we'll talk mm. about it off off um, off mic, but um, one of my other bows is sound therapy. All right. So I've got a studio up there that I do a bit of work in. And next time you're up, I'll put you on the bed and give you a session. Great. Absolutely, mate. I'm into all that stuff now. <laughs> awesome. Um, well, look, mate, I'm a skeptic too. <laughs> yeah. Years ago, I'd be like, "No, that's all bullshit. That's yeah. all. That's all woo and bunk." And mm. um, and it's it's nothing more than meditation. Yeah, sound med- meditation. That's all it is, and and it does work, as you know. So mm. it's it's been a gift to me because I've been able to meet a lot of people. I've you know had the fortune to go to Sydney to the university. Sydney up there and, and, and meet and talk with people that are on the front line of trying to cure cancer mm. and, you know, showing me how they can cure it in a Petri dish, you know, like with <clears throat> the new micro technology and things like that and, and how, you know, these conspiracy theorists, advocates say they and, you know. Them. Like them who, and who, they. Who and when they? you ask them who them and they is, they, they, they just say yeah, you The 1%. Know. Those. Yeah. yeah. And, and look, some bad shit happens. But I believe most people are good and there's some great people out there that, yes, they're involved with Big Pharma and all that kind of stuff that are doing their best. But where would you be without Big Pharma? I'd be dead. Yeah. Without a positive mindset and and the technology to open my brain four times, stick fingers in there, open yeah. my heart, I'd be it's dead. fucking I would, nuts. I would have been dead yeah. six years ago, yeah. you know. So for me now, I'm on, it's a gift, everything I do. So yeah. I try and do everything to its nth degree and you're doing benefits still and um yeah i've been involved with uh, lots of you know um cancer foundations and things like that you know doing doing some talks performing sometimes yeah um just being involved um there was one that was really close to my heart was the australian terminal cancer foundation so basically people who've been given a a, a death 
I've seen Prognosis. some um, social posts of you playing those gigs a couple of years ago now. That's right. Yeah, Wayne played one with yeah. me, you know, and um, and he he sourced help through them through his yeah. journey, and um, they were great, you know. Um, just just so many really good people trying to do good things, you know. Um, so yeah, uh, there's another foundation, just you know, peace of mind, which is one here in Geelong where. Yep. You know, they just do great things. There's a lot of lot of people doing great things to try and help people going through these tough times, whether it be cancer, mental illness, all that kind of stuff. It's um, it's there's a lot of help out there if you if you're willing to seek it. So are you out of the woods? No. So look, no. Um, it's it's like yes. remission. Yeah. If, Never. Yeah. So my my tumors, you know, I had seven brain tumors. I had four removed. So three removed and there's four still in there and they've stopped growing. So what they did, they were benign. Um, so then, you know, I've got them all through my body, my fingers. I've got thousands of them in my body. Mm. Like all the spurs from this had broken off and in the gone, Yeah, they've gone to the end of my veins and you can feel lumps and bumps everywhere. Then they've stopped growing. Now, for people that um, had been through, and only a very few through this, um, you know, myxoma that had gone to other parts of the body, the the journey is you'll die really quickly or if you get through that stage, they stop growing and they just become like lumps in your body. And that's where I'm at. Um, so, you know, my neurologist said, look, for all intents and purposes, <clears throat> you're cured, nothing's going to happen, but I can't guarantee it. And on the end of it, he goes, and you should have already been dead. <laughs> so, every, so every year. Every, I, day is a, is a, every day is a gift, but every year it's the scan, it's the. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I'm I'm probably more in danger now from my seizure activity. Um, How just, often are, is that happening? Well, you know what? It hasn't happened for two years now because I don't get lots of seizures, but I get massive seizures. And they're usually brought on by tiredness, heat, yep. drinking too much alcohol, not having enough sleep. So I've taken the alcohol out of my life. Yep. Um, I still don't get much sleep. The stress is another one, which I've been able to get on top of. Well, it sounds like it with all the... Yeah, and, you know, with you know, the heat and stuff like that. I'm just more, more aware, more careful to drink fluids. And so I, I know my environment. And since I've known that nothing's happened, but before, you know, I, geez, I had a huge one where I was, you know, um, had the tube down my throat, the whole thing. I'd been pissed the night before and it was like 40 degrees or something. And, and that's, that's what triggered it. Yeah. And that once you have one, you're always prone to, to have another one, yeah. you know? So that's the epilepsy side of things. Can you drive? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I couldn't drive for a while. Yeah. If you don't have a seizure for a certain amount of time, um, you can drive. I think it's six months after yep. each each seizure. Um, but every year I have to get a note from my neurologist and report to the road traffic authority that, yeah, I haven't had a seizure and, and you're okay. Yeah. And that'll be till I die. You mm. know, That'll be the same thing. So, um, so for me, it's really environmental. If I misbehave which is I've misbehaved a lot in my life. <laughs> but not anymore, no drink no. or minimal. Oh, yeah, you know, like I'll, I'll have, you know, if I feel really sort of in a party mode, I'll have two beers, yep. maybe one ouzo. That'd be the end of you, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, you, now it is, yeah. <laughs> Where You know, like when I was on the road with Steve, it, it would be nothing for me to have 15 ouzos in a night and a bottle of scotch, like just. No, we've all been there. Yeah, you know, just, yep. just drink myself till oblivion, you know. Then um, Steve just sat there and watched it because he, he's never been a big drinker. No. I think I've seen him drunk maybe twice. Yeah. I Look, when we were on the road, he used to have a few drinks and stuff, but Steve stopped drinking a long time ago yeah. because, yep. um, you know, 
as with most people, that myself and everybody, you sort of, when you get older, you realize I don't quite like who I become when I drink too much. Yeah, right. You, know, you yep. get that thing. So, so oh, yeah, see, I'm, I'm the other way. I, I love me. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> but yeah, now I, I, I it sort of forced stop drinking. Yeah, it is. Yeah, my yep. wife loves drinking though, so I get to live vicariously through her. And you're always the designated driver, so she's extremely <laughs> yeah. happy. I am. I'm uh, always the one driving. Everybody's everybody going. Oh, you can drive. Yeah. But um, well, my wife's the same. She doesn't drink. So. Oh, she doesn't. Yeah. Oh, surprising. I thought she would with you being a husband. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, but in in that way, it's good. And so between having that part of my life, um, and and the music part of my life. I've sort of put them together and know when I need to stop. You know, I literally, if I'm too stressed or there's too much going on, my head gets numb and I have to stop. Yep. And I'm not afraid to tell people, look, I have to stop here. Yep. You know, and uh, using that, you know, I've been pretty healthy the last two, three years. Has that affected like, you know, late night recording studios, uh, sessions? It or? has. I don't, I don't do late nights yep. anymore. Or even though I do have trouble sleeping, mm. but if I'm, in front of a computer after nine o'clock, I won't sleep all night. Yeah. You know, so, uh, so you get to know your own body. You know, yeah. it's, I'm 51 now, so it's taken a long time, but, um, you, you get to know your own body and, and, uh, and work around that, you know? So what's next? So what's next? I'm excited about doing what we're doing today. I've, I've got a new podcast venture that I'm doing with a, with a good mate of mine. Uh, we'll be doing some live podcasts um, utilizing the contacts I've made over the years to, to, you know, come on and chat about themselves. Um, and, uh, you know, management has become my passion. You know, a lot of the artists that I represent is sort of, you know, are just starting out and doing the same silly mistakes I used to when I was their age. So you're more like a psychiatrist. Mentor. A mentor kind of role, which is, which is good. And, you know, having spent a lot of time on the road myself, I know what they're going through when they're taking the piss and when they're really being serious. Yep. So I just uh, I and find the, that the boys taking the piss last week when you um, sent them to the island. <laughs> yeah, well, I just I you know that the the one of the guys that I work with he said you know you should do little one minute on Instagram videos it's of great what idea. you do yeah and uh, I think I did one where it's really important that you got to know where everybody is at all the time <laughs> and I booked them on Mag- magnetic island when they were meant to be in Rockhampton you know so so that was on me that was on two hundred fifty I literally laughed out loud. <laughs> <laughs> Very right. And, and they love, and they made that video and they shit themselves like, yeah, we'd love to put this up. I go, put it up. I don't, yeah. like, I don't care. Yeah, self-deprecating humor is fantastic. Well, I think people want to know that you're real, you know, as yeah. long as you're doing your best, you're going to make mistakes and yep. it's okay. If you try and pretend you make no mistakes, you're just, you're just covering up shit all the time. Well, I don't see a, a cricket bat anywhere in this room. So you're not really a, a, um, a manager until you walk around with a cricket bat. Yeah. Yeah. It's a funny thing when you're managing. Some artists think that you're the boss, but really you're not the boss. You're just a service, you know, and if you don't do your service well, they can get rid of you. You know, you've got contracts and things well, like that, but techni- it's unworkable if, if they don't want to be in a contract. Yeah. Well, technically you're sort of an employer, yeah. Exactly. You know, they're, they're, they're employing you to make good decisions on their behalf. Yeah. So, so that's it. Um, producing, songwriting, anything on the cards? Yeah. Well, I just uh, I wrote a couple of songs that I've submitted um, for uh, The Voice this year for the winners. So yep. we'll see how they go. Um, now I'm still writing songs, um, producing. I'm doing, you know, with a lot of my own artists kind of thing. But um, now I'm still doing that quite a bit. You know, for me, quite a bit is, you know, I suppose – once a week, I'll get in the studio and do some stuff. Then I'll have a project. I've got a project coming out, which is, you know, 10 days. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, just entrepreneurial kind of stuff. You know, there's a lot of different ventures that I'm in that, you know, just sort of 
building assets here and there, you know, all that kind of kind of thing. So I'm, I'm just fascinated about about life, about you know, just talking to people and and actually starting to derive an income from speaking, which is my new passion. I love it. So that's the podcast or, or public speaking. Public speaking, the podcasts. Um, I do. I mentor a few people as well. They come around and we yeah. have a chat about you know some of their some of their uh, the challenges in life and sort of draw some synergy between how I got over it, you know, yeah. to be very careful to say, well, this is the answer because nobody has the answer, but you can definitely share your experience and hopefully people can derive something from that for themselves, you know. So I have some some little techniques that I that I use to help me when I'm not feeling too good or when I find I've hit a brick wall. Yep. Um, and so I love that. You know, there's nothing better than sharing those things and seeing somebody having a positive experience from it. Well, mate, it's just awesome that something – so negative mm. has turned into super positive stuff. Yeah. It, it, it and really you is. yourself are like amazingly positive. Like, you know, a lot of people would not be like that. They'd, they'd still be living day to day yeah. and they'd still be getting around saying, oh, I probably won't have long to, you know, I might, you know, it could be any day now. Yeah. yeah that, that, that happens. Subconsciously, I must think that or else the PTSD wouldn't have come in, but... You know, I've got a really good wife dealt. and she has really slapped me across the ears yeah. when I've gone into that, you wouldn't understand mode. It didn't happen to you. You know, you can say, oh, you'd, it's okay for you to say, or it didn't happen yeah. to you. But the reality is that you know, everybody's experience is unique to themselves. That's right. And it sort of did happen, in a way, it sort of did happen to your family because mm. if we weren't sitting here talking now, they would have lost something too. Obviously not their yeah. life, but you know. Yeah. Oh, look, that's right. And I've had a respect for, for people who are looking after people that are really seriously ill. Yep. Um, because what they go through, I couldn't imagine this happening to my wife. I wouldn't have handled it like she did. You know, I would have been a mess. Yeah. Angry at the world. Oh, so would I. Yeah. You know, your, your wife or your kids. God damn, I couldn't even. You can't even think about it. No. No. Well, that's the thing. You can think about it. And, and it really. Yeah. It's like. Those dark thoughts, man. It's- yeah, and, and when you see it on TV or read about it, like now it really affects me. You know, when, yeah. when I hear, you know, oh god, I'm a sook. Yeah, when <laughs> when, when a kid or, or something yep. like that has 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 had really bad luck or something terrible's mm. happened, it really affects you. You can't just you can't make a joke out of it, you know. But when you were young, you could make jokes out of anything, you know. You just it's not uh, it's you just put your own kids in that yeah spot, and it really you can't upsets me. do that. You can't do that with other people's situations, but do you reckon there's like there's a little bit of gallows humour that kicks in if you've survived something like that, Absolutely. and you sort of can, you know, make a joke of your own? I, look, I think that's one of the things I'm most proud about myself is I can laugh at myself. I can laugh at the fact I got no hair. I can laugh to the fact that that you know they fucked up. Yep. They told me the wrong diagnosis, yeah. uh, and that I'm still here. And you have to be able to laugh at it. Because in, in I don't care who you are, in, when you're by yourself and you, you've got you know time on your hands and you're, there, you're just there to think, it creeps in. That black dog creeps in. It, it, it fucks with you real bad. Yep. And comedy or just laugh at, laughing it off Helps. is the only way out yep. in those times. Yep. Scares that fucker off. Yeah. Yeah. Well, mate, I'm glad uh, that we're sitting here talking. Yeah, me too. And it might have not been like that. So No. No. It's... It's um, awesome, even though we've only been on the periphery of knowing each other for for many years. You yeah, know, I've always been. What's Mick doing? How's he doing? 
Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, and look, and the, the mutual friends that we have have been really significant in our lives. You know, from Wayne, Steve, Paul, yeah, um, those guys that they're significant figures in my life as well. And I think probably losing a couple of them can bring that that group of people. You got more common, like a, a common bond. You know, you've you've lost a couple of close friends. Or, yeah, yeah. Well, it started for us with Jamie so long ago. Yeah, um, which was that was a real tragedy. Well, you know, your, your best friend and being so young. I mean, I wasn't prepared for it. Was he 24? Yeah. Something 24? Yeah, when I was a bit younger, I was only 22 or 23. Yeah. Um, it, it wrecked me mm. for years. Yeah. yeah. I, I still, uh, you know, I, I tear up just like that. Yeah. I just have to see his kids. I do regularly see his kids. Oh, you do? And yeah. I just look at one of them, Luke, who's dead ringer for Jamie. Yeah, right. In every way. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. It freaks me out. It, it is, mate. Yep. But you know that's why we have to enjoy every second we have here. You yeah. know, because uh, you know Christopher Hitch. I'm a big Christopher Hitchens fan. You know, he passed away. I love one of his quotes. He goes, "Well, I just try and piss as many people off as I can, and then it's just a race for the grave." <laughs> yeah. He he didn't he die with dignity? Like he went out just sticking to his guns, and you know some of the some of the. I think he wrote a series of. Um, letters or notes that were put into a book yep. whilst he was going through what he was going through and mm. apparently they're amazing. Yeah, he, like <laughs> I think one of his best quotes when you know just before he died, he goes, I don't know who I'm more scared of, the people praying for me or the people praying for me to die. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know which one I'm more scared of. I just, you know, he just took that humour to the grave. Yeah. Um, yeah, and there's a lot of people out there sort of now that are, you know, following in his footsteps and, mm. and, and helping people that are, that are looking for a voice that maybe yep. isn't the most politically correct voice, but it's a voice that they need to have, you know? Yeah. Mm. Um, uh, Ricky Gervais, Netflix show on at the moment yeah. called Afterlife. Right, I haven't seen it. Yeah, you you should watch it. Yeah, right. I will. You're a bit of a sook. You'll, you'll... I am a sook, mate. Yep. Yeah. Well, settle in. Yeah, Grab really. the tissues. It's amazing. So, it's one of the one of the best things he's ever done. Really, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's a he's a funny fucker. I know that yeah. much. But, yeah. Oh, so that that's that too. It's I described it as um, hilariously depressing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll, I'll definitely yeah. will have a look. It's great. At that. I haven't Good seen one. it. Yeah. On that note, do you want to drop uh, a plug for for, uh, for web, website or? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, if you're a really talented singer, you want to go over to Michael Stanger Management and drop me a line. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, you know, like. There's so many things I'm involved with now that are exciting me. So, you know, from Taylor Henderson, who's just an amazing young man. He's He's been through a lot. He's been a star, had number one platinum albums, you know, to um, just really starting from scratch again. Yep. And so I'm inspired by what he's doing. Um, to Daisy, who's just an amazing yep. little human being. Um, and, you know, I, I suppose the biggest thing that I, that I uh, sort of – is in my life at the moment is being able to talk, tell them a story um, and hopefully help people get through, you know, difficult times that if they just look at it slightly diff differently, aren't that, isn't that difficult. You just got to take yourself out of yourself and just readjust and, and you'll be okay. So that's a real passion of mine right now. Awesome. Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having a chat. 